Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast, Casting Down Idols. This is a podcast where we talk about addiction and recovery from a biblical perspective. I'm your host, Pastor Mike Dixon. I've been clean and sober now for over 30 years, and you can too. The blessed hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ offers you the power you need to change, to be transformed forever. You do not have to stay the way that you are. And so I pray this podcast is a blessing to you. I pray it's an encouragement to you as you continue on this road called recovery. Listen and be blessed. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast, Casting Down Idols. This is your host, Pastor Mike Dixon. I trust that you're doing well and rejoicing in the Lord's goodness towards your life. I want to share with you in this episode a recent sermon I preached at Winterville Baptist Church. In fact, it was Sunday, September the 12th. 2021 that I preached a message based on Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 through 30. The title of the message is A Joyful Perspective and the reason why I want to share this message with you is because I believe the joy of the Lord can be a great asset in your recovery. To be the men and women that God has called us to be, the joy of the Lord is a great encouragement. The joy of the Lord, there's great strength and power in just rejoicing in the Lord's goodness and who we are in Him. So I pray God will speak to you through this message today. Again, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 30. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Now, I don't know why as a Baptist preacher in 30 years, I just feel like I need to read that verse one more time. So uh, I must be the Holy Spirit nudging me. So look at verse 14 again. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy." 
and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now that's where we're going to stop this morning. I want to encourage you and ask you to pray for me and pray with me as we bow together in prayer and simply ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word this morning as we pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your blessed word. And I thank you for this little book in the New Testament, this book of Philippians. I thank you for the message that you use Paul to give us right here where we live in the midst of all these struggles all these moments of crisis that we find ourselves in, all this bad news that uh, just seems to be flooding upon us and over us, Lord, so much of the time. I thank you for this book, this letter that's about joy. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would take the reading of your word on this Lord's day and not just bless us that are here in the sanctuary and uh, present in the fellowship hall, but uh, Lord, all those by way of the internet, I ask, Lord, your Holy Spirit would encourage us I pray that your word, Lord, would uh, strengthen us. I pray that if somebody needs to get saved, they'll get saved today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just have free reign, that your perfect will would be done. And Lord, I ask once again, as I stand behind this sacred desk on this Lord's day, I pray that you drop in my mouth the words I'm to say. I don't want to be a distraction. I don't want to speak in the flesh. I want to yield to you, Lord, as you just minister through me and to me. And we give you praise for what you're about to do on this day. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now you may be seated. Now I know as I started reading this text, there was one word in particular in verse 12 uh, that could be a discouragement to many of you, even though it ought not to be, and I'm talking about that word work. Do you see that word in verse 12? That's the word that discourages a lot of people. I don't know why. There's a lot of people in our society today, and you see it's evidence of the fact we've got so many help wanted signs all about. Not only do they try to avoid the word, but they try to avoid, avoid the meaning of the word, don't they? And so we've got that word work. Well, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he writes this portion of the letter to the church at Philippi, he's got a great deal to say about work. And work is not a negative thing. You know, I guess, uh, realistically, when you think about life, work can be a good thing. If you like doing what, what you're doing, it can be a good thing. If you don't like doing what you're doing, I guess it could be somewhat of a burden. But when we talk about serving the Lord and walking with Him and the joy of the Lord, work ought not to be a burden. It ought to be a joy for us to serve the Lord and just pour our life out in whatever the calling is that God has placed upon our lives. And so the Apostle Paul in this portion of the letter to the church at Philippi tells us a little bit about what our work ought to involve and not just what our work ought to involve, but what our perspective ought to be as we serve out the Lord in the everyday ministry that God has called us to. And so I believe in this text, we're going to see a lot on this Lord today about how we can have a joyful perspective. Joy ought not just to be something that we hold inside. Joy ought not just to be something uh, that bubbles up within us. But I believe joy ought to affect the way that we look at the world. It ought to affect the way that we look at life. It ought to certainly affect the way that we look at crises and problems and struggles that we have to deal with on an ongoing basis. And so we're talking about this thing, this truth of having a joyful perspective, even as Paul begins this portion of the letter in verse 12. And he talks about work. He talks about obedience. And let me just go ahead and tell you, if you're going to have the joy of the Lord, you're going to have to learn as a born-again believer to walk and live in obedience. There's really no lasting joy outside of living a life in obedience to our Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Now it's interesting when I talk about perspective this morning, how people can have different perspectives. I mean, you know, somebody can look at one thing and see a blessing in it, and somebody else can come along and look at the exact same thing, and they can perceive it not to be a blessing, but to be a burden, or to even be a cursing on their lives. And so people perceive things often in many different ways, right? I remember this story of these three guys that were at the Grand Canyon out west and they were standing on the edge of this great abyss and they were looking at this. One of these uh, individuals happened to be an artist, the other was a preacher, and the third one was a cowboy. And so all three of them are standing there gazing into the enorm- enormous uh, Grand Canyon and all three of them were just amazed and all three of them exclaimed, The artist cried out, he said, how beautiful a scene to paint. The preacher standing there, he looked and he gazed at the Grand Canyon. He exclaimed, he said, what beautiful, wonderful evidence of the existence of God. The cowboy stood there gazing at the same Grand Canyon and with a sigh in his voice, he said, what a terrible place to lose a cow. When I look at this portion of the book of Philippians, Paul's kind of talking about that. He's talking about our perception and the fact as born again believers with the joy of the Lord ought to be overflowing in us because He lives in us. We ought to have a joyful perspective no matter what's going on around us. Now, one thing we've already learned in this study in the book of Philippians is that it's not just in the good times that we can be joyful. It's also in the most difficult times we can be joyful. Joy, as we talk about the joy of the Lord, is not something that's regulated from things that are happening outside us, but the joy of the Lord is within us as born-again believers because of whom indwells us, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. God Himself and the person of His precious Spirit lives in us, and that's the source of our joy. So our joy is not regulated by what's happening around us. Our joy is constant. It can be our constant companion. It can help us to hold it all together. It can help us to go through life, not just the mountaintop experiences, but even the most low points in our lives and still have the constant of the joy of the Lord in our lives because it's something that God deposits deposits within us when we say yes to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. His precious Holy Spirit comes to dwell within our mortal bodies. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So He's the source of this joy. So you say, preacher, how can I have a joyful perspective? Tell me how I can see the sunshine through the clouds. Tell me how I can see the rainbow in the midst of the storm. Well, I believe there's at least three things right here in this text that God gives us through the Apostle Paul's letter that can help us have this kind of joy. Now, the first thing God's given us that will help us have this constant joy, He's given us a sense of humor. He's given us a sense of humor. That'll help you maintain a joyful perspective. That'll help you even in the most difficult times. I'm reminded every Sunday morning when I stand up here and I look out over this congregation, God must have a sense of humor. Bless your hearts. You know I love you, right? And every morning when I get up and look at the mirror, I know that God's got a sense of humor. Is that a little bit better? Every time I look at creation... I can see that God's got a sense of humor. When I look at a camel or I look at a giraffe, I'm like, Lord have mercy. God God must have a sense of humor to create animals that are so funny looking and yet so beautiful at the same time, right? God does have a sense of humor. 
And when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of God breathed in you eternal life. The Holy Spirit of God, I believe at that moment in time too, breathed into you this gift that comes from God, this gift of joy. And so when you think about joy, I want you to think about joy as being a ministry of the Holy Spirit. Something you receive from God, something that's already there, but you need to walk in it, you need to access it, you need to stand in it, you need to live in it, the joy of the Lord. I don't believe there's anything that can help you any better as you go through the difficult times in life than to just laugh. Have a good laugh. Find something that will cause you, create in you that laughter. You know the Bible says that laughter is good medicine. You know that? So it's good to laugh. Even when you're hurting, it's good to laugh. Even when you're walking through a valley, it's good to laugh. Even when you're dealing with difficulties, it's good to laugh. Even in the midst of a pandemic, I'm just saying that laughter is good medicine and the joy of the Lord comes from God. Now, look at Paul here. Paul had a sense of humor too. Look at verse 17 and what he writes here in verse 17. He says, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now remember where Paul's at. He's in prison in Rome. He's not having uh, what we would say would be a mountaintop experience, even though Paul allows God to take his imprisonment and transform it into a mountaintop experience. He's sitting in a dungeon, but yet he's got the joy of the Lord. He's sitting in a dungeon and he writes this letter to the church at, at Philippi, a church that God had used Paul to actually found. He's got brothers and sisters in Christ that are there. He loves these people and he's writing this letter to express his love, his concern, his thanksgiving to the church at Philippi, but to remind them you can still have the joy of the Lord. Paul's saying, I'm in prison and I've got the joy of the Lord. And so you ought to have the joy of the Lord where you are because what you're going through is not as bad as what I'm going through. Now, Paul's writing here. He doesn't know how much longer he's got to live. I believe the Holy Spirit's already revealed to Paul, even at this point, that he doesn't have a whole lot longer to live. He's going to be martyred for his faith. He's going to lay down his life. And so Paul's writing here and he talk, he's talking about that. He's saying, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering. Now the pagans that lived in Rome and the pagans in the Greek society understood immediately what he was talking about here because the Greeks had a pagan ritual that they would do. And what they would do is they would have this expensive, uh, usually it was some type of wine that was a real good wine, a real sweet wine, and they would pour it out as an offering to their pagan gods. The Jewish people also had what they called a drink offering. The uh, pagans called it a libation is actually the name that they would use. It was a libation offering. But the Jews also did this. And what the Jews often would do when, when they would present a burnt offering to God or a burnt sacrifice, they would, take, they would take an expensive wine or beverage and they would pour it out around the altar, around the sacrifice they were getting ready to present to the Lord. And so all the readers, Jew and Gentile alike, would understood what, what Paul was talking about. Paul's saying, I feel my, like my life is getting ready to be poured out as an offering to the Lord. And so Paul pictured his life like that. I just believe that's a beautiful picture. I believe that we ought to see our life like that. We ought to live our life in such a way that I'm just pouring it out, pouring it out for the Lord. Lord, it's a sacrifice unto you. Everything that I have belongs to you. 
You know, the Apostle Paul many times referred to himself as a doulos or a bondservant, as a slave. We're going through the book of Romans on Wednesday night and he begins the book of Romans like that. He says, I'm a bond slave. Everything I have belongs to God. Paul had a perspective like this. I want to constantly pour my life out to the Lord. And Paul's making it clear in this letter to the church at Philippi, it's not a burden to do that. It's a joy for me to do that. And so I'm doing it joyfully. We ought to have the same kind of perspective the Apostle Paul had. He said, I am, I am proud, I am joyful to be able to pour my life out as a drink offering to the Lord. I'm going to offer the Lord everything that's within me. And so Paul didn't have time to live his life under a grudge. He didn't have time to live his life under the cloud of mully grubs. You know what a mully grub is, right? Mully grub just, you remember Eeyore, Winnie the Pooh? I'm, oh me, oh my, my tail fell off again. Remember that? We don't have to go through life like Eeyore looking for our tail that just fell off. We don't have to be under a rain cloud. We don't have to have the mully grubs. We don't have to go through life with a face so long looks like you could suck marbles out of a gopher hole. God has deposited in us as born again, blood children of the king, a joy that's not regulated by my circumstances, but a joy that's constant because he that lives in me and the person in the power of the Holy Spirit is is always constant. He never changes. We can go through life with a joyful perspective. We can go through life with the same kind of attitude Paul had. It's not a sacrifice for me to pour my life out to you, my time, my talents, my resources. God, it's not a burden for me. I'm pouring my life out as a sacrifice to the Lord. And so when you've got that kind of perspective, it's not a burden to give 10% in your tithes. It's not a burden uh, just to, to come for two or three hours a week and be part of a body of believers that meet on a regular basis in a local church. It's not a burden to reach out and be a blessing to those around you. It's not a burden when you identify with what Paul's talking about right here, that everything I have, Lord God, belongs to you and I'm pouring it out to you as an offering. And Paul's saying here, I'm doing it joyfully. Paul says, I'm glad and I rejoice even in doing this. As a born again Christian, it's not hard to be happy. Yeah, so you say, preacher, I can't be happy. Oh yes, you can be happy. Happiness, joy is a choice that you make. You understand it's a choice you make? I mean, you can look through the clouds and you can see the rainbow or you can just get focused on the clouds and the thunder and, and the lightning that's flashing. But you can all, there's always a rainbow. There's always a blessing. There's always reason to give thanks and to praise God. And he's given us this joy. It comes from him. And so live your life like that. My life is an offering unto the Lord. If you're going to do that, a sense of humor is going to help you. A sense of humor is going to help you. Find something to laugh at. You know, yesterday, the uh, life minister, we, we had a tent set up at the Aiden Collar Festival. And you know, some things I like to do every once in a while, and I did it yesterday, just sit back and, and watch the funny side of life just kind of walk by. You ever do that? You ever people watch? I mean, there's some funny looking people in the world, isn't there? And people can do the funniest things sometimes. I mean, they can just kind of get your goat if you watch them and you pay attention. You know, if you're looking for something to laugh about, I'm just saying, you don't have to look far, right? 
You don't have to look far. I mean, there's something all around us that we can break a smile about and give thanks for and have a joyful attitude. And so sometimes just people watching, that's enough to do it. But I believe God sometimes drops these times in our lives and these moments in our lives that make us smile because we need to have a sense of humor and we need to exercise that sense of humor because that will help you maintain a joyful perspective. I mean, Paul says, man, I'm here in jail. He's writing to the church at Philippi. He's saying, I'm in jail and yet I'm happy. Look at what he says in the last part of verse 17. Underline it in your Bible. He says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul's given us the example here. He's giving us encouragement here. He's saying to the church at Philippi, he's saying, you folks, you know, back there, you're not in prison. I'm the one in prison, and yet I'm glad and I'm rejoicing in prison. So what's your problem? Why aren't you glad and why aren't you rejoicing in Philippi? Because you're not where I am. Look at what he says in verse 18. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. In other words, you ought to start rejoicing. And you ought to keep right on rejoicing. If I can maintain the joy of the Lord under my circumstances, certainly you ought to be able to maintain the joy of the Lord in your circumstances. Have you ever read a passage of Scripture? I know you have. And maybe a passage you've seen over and over before. Maybe you've studied this, this book before like I have. But in meditating on this verse right here, on this passage, I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me in His still small voice and just kind of showed me something I hadn't really realized before and what Paul's saying to the church at Philippi. Paul's telling them, if I can be joyful going through what I'm going through, you ought to be able to be joyful because you're not going through anything near what I'm having to deal with. You don't have to look far to find somebody in worse shape than you are. Whatever you're going through on this Lord's Day, whatever's happening in your life right now, I'm just telling you there's somebody who would love to trade places with you and what you're going through right now. You say, preacher, I don't have any shoes. Well, thank God you got feet. You understand in some places of the world and some, and some people don't have feet to even have a need for shoes. And so there's always something to give thanks for. There's always reason for us to rejoice and maintain a joyful perspective on life. I mean, it could always be worse. I guess that's what I'm saying. It could always be worse. Now, this young college girl wrote a letter home. Now, if you've ever had a son or a daughter in college, you ought to be able to re relate to this letter, all right? I just saw a daddy look over to his daughter. She's in college, so he, he's, he's listening to this. If you ever had a son or daughter in college, you can relate. Now, listen to what this, this girl wrote home about to her mom and dad. The letter starts off, Dear Mom and Dad, I guess you heard by now the dorm called on fire. We were in the basement smoking pot, and I guess somehow we set the dorm on fire. But no one was hurt. We got most of our personal belongings out in time. Oh, I'm getting married soon. You see, I have to because I'm going to have a baby. You'll meet Bubba soon. He's got a real neat Harley. <laughs> then there's a long pause in this letter. In fact, they had to turn it over to the back side to get the rest of the letter. And the girl went on the last paragraph and she said, actually, I'm not pregnant. I don't even know anybody named Bubba. I'm not getting married. There was no fire. 
I wouldn't even know what to do with pot if I had pot. But I did flunk chemistry and I just wanted you to be able to put things in proper perspective. It could always be worse. Smart young lady. And I believe as the Holy Spirit gives Paul these words to write, that's what Paul's doing. He's helping us get things in perspective. He's helping us to understand as born again believers that we can walk in the joy of the Lord and there's always reason to give thanks. There's always good reason to laugh. You know, laughter does so many good things for you. Of course, again, the Bible says in Proverbs 17 verse 22 that laughter is good medicine or a merry heart is good medicine. Laughter uh, releases tension from your body. They tell us that laughter, when we, when we laugh, it changes our expectations. Medically, when you laugh in your body, your body releases chemicals, endorphins, that really are natural painkillers uh, that help you when you laugh. Isn't that something? We've got natural painkillers within our body, and when we laugh, those painkillers are released. And so when you're hurting, what's the best thing for you to do? Find something to laugh about. When arthritis, when an aspirin won't touch it, what should you do? Find something to laugh about. When bursitis is about to have its way with you, look for the sunny side of life. When you're going through a crisis or difficulty, what should you do? Exercise the joy of the Lord. Laughter is good medicine. It'll help you. It'll help you. You got to have this, this joyful perspective. And if you're going to do it going through life, you got to make sure you exercise that gift of a sense of humor. Now let me tell you something else that's going to ha help you. Point number two, to have a joyful perspective. Not just a sense of humor, but a circle of friends. Don't friends help you as you go through life? I'm talking about getting through the most difficult times in life. And Paul's writing this letter here. And no doubt the Apostle Paul had many friends. But he mentions two in particular right here in this part of the letter to the church at Philippi. One of those friends that Paul points out is this young man, Timothy. Timothy was a young preacher boy. Timothy was one that Paul mentored. Uh, Timothy was a companion to the Apostle Paul throughout the earthly ministry of the Apostle Paul. Timothy learned how to do ministry by being a companion to the Apostle Paul. Look at what Paul says about Timothy in verse 19. As he's writing to Philippi, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned with your, wel with your welfare. Now, you know, Timothy was always in Scripture. When I look at Timothy, it seems like he had the gift of going. He had the gift of being sent. I mean, Timothy was always being sent somewhere. And so as Paul writes to the church at Philippi, evidently Timothy, he could have been in prison with Paul. I don't think so. I believe he was just close to where Paul was. Timothy was Paul's companion. So I believe when Paul went to Rome to be in prison, Timothy stayed close by. And he'd come in and he'd visit with Paul as they would allow him to. And so Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, he's saying, what I hope to do is I hope to send Timothy to you. He's already proven that he's worthy and he's trustworthy and he's a man of integrity. And I want to send him to you soon. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. And so it seems like Timothy was always being sent. He had the, 
the calling of going. And let me just say this, whatever God's called you to do, you're never going to be able to experience the joy of, your Lord, of the Lord in a, in a continual basis in your life unless you're doing what God has called you to do. You need to find out what that calling is. And you need to begin to walk in that calling that God has placed on your life. And if God calls you to go, you need to be willing to go. If God calls you to come, you need to be willing to come. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do, you need to be willing to do that. You know, it's not just important that God calls you. Really, the question is, did you go when God called you to go? And so Paul's saying, what I want to do is I want to send Timothy to you. He's already proven his trustworthiness. He'll be able to go, be an encouragement to you. And Paul's saying also, when Timothy goes to you, he'll be able to bring news back to me. And so Paul's saying, I'm going to be blessed by this visit as well. Paul's also saying, you know, I hope that I'm able to come soon and to visit with you as well. But Timothy was a friend to Paul. Timothy was an errand boy for the Lord, too. I mean, Timothy was always ready to go and to do whatever God called him to go and do. Look at what the Bible says in verse 20. Paul, Paul says that Timothy was such a dear friend, there was no one else like him. You see that in verse 20? No one else like him. Now, in the original languages, what that means is Timothy was like-minded with Paul. So the things that were important to Paul, guess what? They were important to Timothy. Isn't it such a blessing to have a friend like that? I mean, you can go through life, and I'm just telling you, friends like this, like Timothy was to Paul, and Paul was to Timothy, this kind of friendship is rare. I mean, you go through life, and you have all kinds of people that you know, and, and maybe all kinds of people that you call friends, but there's kind of different levels of friendship, isn't there? I mean, there's folks that you know by, by acquaintance. That, that just simply means when you see them, you know them. And maybe you can call them by name. And then you've got folks in your life that maybe you casually socialize with, maybe every once in a while. And then you've got those friends that are a little bit closer. Uh, maybe every weekend you go out to eat, you know. You talk on a regular basis. Maybe you go on trips with them, you know. You've got those kind of friends that are a little bit closer. And then you've got those friends by the grace of God that God deposits into your life, again, by His grace, uh, that are precious gifts from Him. That, I mean, you're with on a continual basis. I'm talking about you're like-minded. Isn't it such a gift from God to have those kind of friends? I mean, you can just sit and, and talk about what's going on in the world, and you got the same mind. I mean, you got the same perspective. you got the same heart. I mean, you're in agreement. Isn't it the book of Amos that says, how can two walk together unless they be in agreement? Isn't it a blessing? Those friends are, are few and far between, aren't they? I'm saying if you've got one friend like this, if you've got one friend like Timothy was to Paul, one friend that, that I'm talking about, you don't necessarily have to be talking about anything. You can just be riding down the road in the same car and not say a word and it's all good. I'm talking about that kind of friend. If you've got that kind of friend, you ought to give thanks to God. God, I thank you for this special friend you have dropped into my life like Paul had with Timothy. In fact, I believe what you ought to do is you ought to get them a chicken on a mission plate sale ticket. You ought to buy their lunch, buy their dinner for next Saturday. That's what you ought to do. You ought to give them a Christmas gift in September just to let them know, I thank God for you. You're a blessing in my life. You're precious to me. Friends will help you. 
Get through the difficult times in life. Friends will help you have a joyful perspective even when things aren't going your way. You know, Paul mentions another friend that he had. And it's mentioned, he's mentioned right here in this text. Not just Timothy, but Paul goes on and he mentions this guy, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus was a, a, evidently a member of the church at Philippi that Philippi had sent to visit Paul in prison in Rome. Now, what happened when Epaphroditus got there, he was supposed to stay there for a length of time to minister to Paul. But Epaphroditus got sick. When he got there to see Paul, he got sick. In fact, Paul says he was critically ill. He almost died. Epaphroditus, your brother that you sent to minister to me. And so you know what Paul had to do? Paul had to send Epaphroditus back early. Epaphroditus is having to go back to Philippi earlier than anticipated. Now, you know, I can't help but think about if Epaphroditus felt like he was going to be perceived as a failure. Because he wasn't able to stay in Rome. For the length of time that he had planned to stay in Rome to minister to Paul, maybe he was afraid that the church at Philippi, maybe Paul feared this. Maybe Paul said, thinking, you know, I'm afraid that you folks in Philippi are going to think that Epaphroditus failed in his mission because I'm having to send him home early because he got gravely sick. And Paul's saying, oh no, he wasn't a failure. He came and he blessed me. He did what he needed to do. But I'm sending him back to you and I'm rejoicing that he's getting stronger because Paul said it would have been sorrow upon sorrow for him if Epaphroditus had died. So see Paul's talking about he's got at least two of these friends that I'm talking about this morning. He's got a friend like that in Timothy. He's got a friend like that in Epaphroditus. Those friends that are near and dear to Paul's heart. And so I'm saying those are blessings from God. Don't take those friendships for granted. Make sure you let those people know that God has blessed you with what a blessing they are in your life. Because that kind of friendship, it doesn't grow on trees, does it? You're not going to get it in a book. You're not going to get this kind of friendship in a seminar or sitting through some kind of conference. I don't believe you're going to find this kind of friendship online on the internet. This is the kind of friendship that God blesses you with, and they're few and far between. So a circle of friends, that'll help you maintain That'll help you maintain the kind of, the kind of uh, joyful perspective that you need to have. Now, down in verse 25, I just want you to note this. As Paul's talking about Epaphroditus, he calls him in verse 25, a fellow worker and a fellow soldier. And he nearly died coming to Rome to minister to Paul. Now, look at verse 25 of our text. What Paul says here recorded in verse 25 he says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, your brother. See, he came from Philippi. Paul's sending him back. Fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger. Now that word uh, there for messenger is the same word we get the word apostle from. And it means one who is sent. So Paul's sending him back. He's saying, Paul says, and he ministered to my needs. So uh, Epaphroditus is not going back to Philippi failure. And I think a lot of times, you know, what God needs to deliver us, deliver us from is the fear of people. Because a lot of times we let the fear of people control us. And we begin to think about how are people going to perceive me? 
You know, are they going to think I'm a failure, failure because I'm coming back early? Maybe that could have been in the mind of Epaphroditus. You know, we need to have the kind of perspective as we go through life. It's not about pleasing people and it's not about having the approval of people. But we need to have the kind of perspective as long as God is happy, that's all that really matters. As long as God is pleased with my life, that's all that really matters, you see. And so we need to overcome the fear of man, the fear of people, and we need to have the fear of God. Well, let me move on. Paul had these two friends, Timothy and Epaphroditus. If you're going to have a joyful perspective, a sense of humor is going to help you. A circle of friends is going to help you. And number three, a place of service is going to help you. You will never have a joyful perspective until you find your place of service. That's why all you folks tuning in by way of the internet, you may feel like, you know, and I know with COVID and the pandemic, if that's why you're, you're doing what you're doing, that's fine. But you need to be part of a local church. You say, preacher, why do I need to be part of a local church? Because a local church is God's heartbeat. This is God's ideal. God is the one who birthed the local church. Most of the time in the Bible, when you see the word church, it's talking about a local church. It's in the local church that you get plugged in and you get to serve in ministry side by side with brothers and sisters in Christ that are striving to build up the kingdom of God and bring honor and glory to the Lord. You got to find your place of service. Best place to do that is through the local church. Now notice in verse 30. Paul says in verse 30, for the, for the work of Christ. For the work of Christ. God's got a work for us to do. He's got something He wants to do in and through your life. And you know I've learned looking at these guys, looking at Paul, looking at Timothy, looking at Epaphroditus that their attitude, all three of them had the same kind of attitude. All three of them were like-minded. All three of them in their relationship with God had this kind of attitude. Anytime, anywhere, God, I'm ready. When you say go, I'm ready to go. God, when you say stop, I'm ready to stop. God, when you say stay, I'm ready to stay. Lord, I'm at your dis disposal. All three of these men, I see that kind of attitude because of their service unto the Lord. They're yes men for God. Yes men for God. God, give us some more yes men. Give us some more yes women. Give us some more folks in the body of Christ at, at Winterville Baptist Church that are just like this, who are ready to do whatever you've called us to do. Lord, I'm waiting on go. Standing at attention for the work of the Lord, the work of Christ. Now, Paul says in verse 30 about Epaphroditus, he says in verse 30, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. A joyful perspective. Committed to what God had called him to do. Epaphroditus was faithful. He did what God had called him to do, did what the church had asked him to do, did what Paul needed. And as Paul writes this letter and he sends Epaphroditus back, he's saying, you need to receive him. You need to love him. You need to thank God for him. So you say, preacher, how can I have a joyful perspective? How can I go through life and maintain this thing that you've been talking about this morning? Well, God gave you a sense of humor. How about using it? Exercise it. God's deposited in your life. These friends, this circle of friends, they're there for you. And I'm talking about those friends that are closest to you, man. It's a hand to hold. It's a shoulder to cry on. It's somebody you can join hearts with who, who are like-minded in this service God's called you to. And you can march forward. A circle of friends will help you. And a place of service. A 
place of service will help you. I heard this story a long time ago, and it's just really stuck in my mind all these years. And the story is about a six-year-old girl who was desperately sick. She had an infection in her blood. She was only six years old, this precious little girl. And the doctors were afraid she was going to die. That's how critical this blood infection was. Unless they could find somebody with the same blood type who had dealt with the same disease and yet had overcome the disease, and then they could transfer some of that blood from that well person into this six-year-old girl that was sick. And so they did the search. They found a perfect match in her nine-year-old brother. Her brother had, the same, had faced the same kind of disease. It was genetic. He had dealt with it in his blood. He had overcome it. And so he had those natural antibodies in his blood. And so his blood was a perfect match for his six-year-old sister. And so the doctor came to this nine-year-old boy and tried to explain the crisis to this nine-year-old boy. And the doctor knew he was going to have to do it in a way that this little nine-year-old boy could understand it. And still the doctor knew he, the little boy still was not going to be able to understand everything. And so the doctor sat the little boy down and began to tell the little boy, uh, son, if your little sister is going to live, you're going to have to give her some of your blood. We're going to have to, there's going to have to be a, a blood transfusion. We got to take your blood and we've got to transfuse it into your little sister. Are you willing to do that? And that little nine-year-old boy didn't have to think about it. Just immediately he responded, yes, I would. And so they took that nine-year-old boy and they laid him out on that bed and they got everything ready, put the needle in his arm and brought his baby sister, his six-year-old sister in. And she's laying right beside him in the bed right beside him. And, and uh, they begin to transfer that blood. And that little nine-year-old boy is lying there. He just lays there. He looks over at his little six-year-old sister beside him. And he kind of smiles. And then he closes his eyes and he just lays back. And they took about a pint of blood from the little boy and put it in the body of his little sister, that six-year-old boy, that, that six-year-old girl that was sick. They finished the transfusion. They took out the needles and disconnected everything. That little boy was sitting there and the doctor walked over to the bed of that nine-year-old boy and, and the nine-year-old boy still had his eyes closed and there were tears running down his cheeks. The doctor touched the little boy's shoulder. He said, son, it's over. And the little boy looked up at the doctor. He said, doctor, when, when am I going to die? When am I going to die? That little boy thought giving blood to his sister was going to mean he was going to die. He was willing to do it. The doctor was amazed. And the doctor said, why on earth, how in the world, why were you able, you thought you were giving your life. Oh, how were you able to do that? What made you want to make this kind of sacrifice? He said, because I love my sister and I wanted her to live. Let me tell you what happened some 2,000 years ago. Because God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his own blood. Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary went to those beams for you. Shed his blood. Gave his life. Paid a penalty you could not pay. It's a gift of grace from God Almighty that your sins can be forgiven. And we would ask him, God, why did you do it? Because I love you. And I want you to live. You know, I just wonder this morning, is there anybody within the sound of my voice, you would say for the very first time, I want to live. I want to live. I want to be forgiven. I want my, my, the price of my sins to be paid. I want to make sure I'm right with God. I want you to bow your head with me this morning. We're going to pray. Folks that are here, folks that are in the fellowship hall, folks online, I want to pray for you this morning on this Lord's Day. God's Word has gone out. I'm telling you the good news of the Gospel is 
God loves you so much, He died in your place. He did give His life for you. He shed His blood for you. That perfect sacrifice that your sins can be forgiven. All you've got to do is cry in faith from your heart, Lord God, right now, I'm trusting Christ as my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again for me. You are Lord of Lords. And right now, I receive you into my life as Lord and Savior. It's that easy. It's not complicated. It's not hard. A nine-year-old boy can understand it. A six-year-old girl can understand it. You can understand it right where you are. If you'll open your heart right now and ask Jesus to save you, He'll save you. Maybe you're going through a crisis. Maybe you're already a believer. Maybe you, like the prodigal son, you've drifted away. God's standing on the porch on this Lord's day. Arms wide open. He's looking down the road. He's waiting for you. He wants to receive you back. He wants to wrap His loving arms around you and forgive you and receive you back into your place. All you got to do is come back home. You know, I believe this morning God's calling somebody to come. God's saying, come to me. Ye who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. Those that are lost, come to me. Prodigal son, prodigal daughter, come to me. And then I also believe on this Lord's day, God, God's calling somebody to go. Maybe you're running from the call God's placed on your life. You need to receive it. You need to surrender. You need to say, Lord God, have your way. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your blessed word this morning. I, I thank you, Lord, for giving us an opportunity just to gather under the preaching and the teaching of your word. And I believe your Holy Spirit has been ever present, Lord, in this place. And I'm standing on your promise that your word will never return void. So I'm praying as decisions are made right now, maybe around the world, what an awesome thought. Folks through the gift of the internet right now, Lord, opening their heart to you. Maybe somebody needs a healing. I'm praying right now you'll touch a body. I pray right now you'll touch a mind. You'll drive out mental illness. Lord God, you'll give healing to minds that are confused. That, Lord, you'd restore bodies that are hurting. Cripples that maybe can't walk. But Lord, I pray in the greatest miracle of all is taking place right now that souls are being saved. And as people are crying out to Jesus Christ to come in their heart and to forgive them of their sins, Lord, I know you're hearing those prayers. Draw them into your family right now. I pray you'd be honored, Lord, and glorified. Even in these closing moments on this Lord's Day, thank you for reminding us that, Lord, in the midst of all this bad news, stuff going on in Afghanistan, in Haiti, around the world, hurricanes and storms and COVID and all these things that we're faced with, Lord, right now, thank you for that joy that can be our constant companion. Thank you for the resources you've already brought into our lives, Lord, to help us in this endeavor to have a joyful perspective. So, Lord, I pray that we're getting ready to see a move of God in this place and across the web because of what you're about to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, I'm going to ask you to prayerfully stand to your feet where you are. I'm going to ask Kathy to play just a moment. If you just stand, heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come. The altar's open. I'd be glad to pray with you, pray for you if you've got a need. If you're in the fellowship hall and you want to make your way over here, maybe it's a decision you're making this morning that you need to make public. Maybe you're rededicating your life. Maybe you're coming to Christ for the very first time. I believe that's something that you need to let folks know about. Don't be ashamed of what Christ has done for you. 
If you've got a need right now and you need to respond, maybe God's called you to join this church. You need to come. Maybe you say, preacher, I need to be baptized. I need to be obedient to the Lord. You need to come. Just a moment more this morning. We'll give you an opportunity. The altar's open if you want to come for prayer. Whatever your need is. anybody need to respond turn your eyes upon Jesus are you looking to him right now you can trust him whatever you're going through you can trust him been good to be in God's house this morning. Amen. Amen. Everybody by way of the internet, like it on Facebook if you would and share it. God bless you. If we can minister to you in some way, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Church, good to see you this morning. We're going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask Miss Carolyn Tyndall to close us in prayer. Would you, Miss Carolyn? Let's, let's pray together. Yes. Thank you.